Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Coronavirus update for January 5th, 2022. I'm Jim Watkins. Lots to cover in this episode as we step into a new year, now into our third year of coverage of the coronavirus updates. A reminder that this data is at your fingertips on our homepage at candidlyspeaking.net. And the information here comes from the CDC, the World Health Organization, and Johns Hopkins Medical University. With the increased onset of testing, it behooves us also now to focus on the morbidity rates as a truer gauge of the impact COVID is having on our society. So we'll look at death rate trends both here at home as well as globally. Plus, we'll continue to update you in the VAERS adverse effects statistics. And now, starting with news with impact on COVID policy and how it affects us. This week, mRNA inventor Dr. Robert Malone made headlines and was banned from Twitter for drawing concerns to children vaccination policies. The highly accredited virologist appeared with the Joe Rogan podcast and discusses here how the FDA and Big Pharma are not following normal protocols in safety. We wouldn't be having all of this conflict about what is truth if the FDA had done its job. What the FDA didn't do was force the pharmaceutical manufacturers to do their job. Now, we can, we can wrap around, you know, well, maybe it was just they were all in a rush, we were all panicked, blah, 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 blah. But the bottom line was they didn't do their job and they didn't force pharma to do its job and they didn't employ the standard requirements for testing and verification that pharma was doing its job that I would expect to experience as a clinical researcher on one of my studies. Okay, what's going on with Pfizer if the whistleblower comments hold true? And for instance, the Maddie DeGary case, this young woman who was listed as having a stomach ache that participated in the Pfizer trials, when in fact what she had was a seizure and she's now wheelchair bound with a nasogastric tube, one of a thousand subjects. This is a 13-year-old girl that was a part of the study. And they wrote it down as what? Gastric distress. That's, that's literally what it says in terms of the adverse effect. Gastric distress. Like what, what is gastric distress? Stomachache. That's it. But what, how do they account for all the other injuries? They don't. They don't. They take her off of the study. They, they How take is that her possible? Of, that that I mean, that's totally unethical. It is. Right? It is so it who's is, signing off on that? How, do they, how are they allowed to do that? Over the last few years, the FDA got wise to that, and they made policy that the responsibility vests with the sponsor. That's fancy regulatory speak for it. It's pharma owns it, okay? So you ask the question, whose responsibility is it to ensure that the data isn't contaminated and manipulated? The answer is Pfizer. That's Dr. Robert Malone and a brief clip from the Joe Rogan podcast. Another high-profile heart doctor and immunologist, Dr. Peter McCulloch, also spoke to the Epic Times on their Thought 
leaders section. In this first clip, McCulloch states, despite successful treatment available, NIH guidelines have prevented patients from being treated for COVID. Our poor seniors, when they get handed a diagnosis of COVID-19, can you imagine being 75 years old, being in your own apartment or in a senior center, being told you have a potentially fatal diagnosis, and you're told there's no treatment. You're told to go home, quarantine, don't have any contact with anybody. Can you imagine a widower, a widower sitting in an apartment saying, okay, I've got COVID-19, I can't see my family, I can't see anybody. You call the doctor once, twice, or three times. They say, there's no treatment, sorry. Just when you can't breathe anymore, you go to the hospital. Can you imagine the anxiety that must build up in isolation, in fear, and suffering, and the fever day by day, and the progressive shortness of breath day by day, and the scramble to try to manage yourself, the scramble to get any hope of something that one could do to save their own lives, and then get to the point where they say, listen, I can't do it anymore, I can't bear it anymore, and push the panic button call family members and say, listen, I, I can't make it anymore. Family members come over. They get contaminated. Call paramedics, Uber drivers, taxi drivers. Everybody gets contaminated. And then senior who sat at home for two weeks with a virus ravaging their body gets admitted to the hospital. And they're rewarded for that action by going into isolation where they can no longer see anyone. Now they're left with maybe cell phone service and FaceTime the best they can or telephone service, we know at that juncture that uh, the NIH guidelines state still no treatment. Get admitted, get put in isolation, and it's only until the oxygen saturation drops does the NIH say in their guidelines, and the Infectious Disease Society of America say in their guidelines, that then the treatment can start. In the second clip, Dr. McCulloch describes how the health industry played a role in preventing patients from getting proper treatment from COVID. People took it upon themselves. Pharmacists took it upon themselves with no regulations, with no support in their um, field to just not give patients the medicines when the doctors ordered them to actually block it. Uh, Insurance companies took it upon themselves to cancel large insurance contracts across the board with doctors because they did use ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. Medical boards took it upon their own action to actually surveil the use of these drugs and try to apply threats or disciplinary actions for these uh, agents. So uh, out of this, it was an interesting response. Uh, Dr. Brantios in South America and Dr. Chetty in South Africa invented new protocols. It's an excerpt from the American Thought Leaders section on the Epic Times, Dr. Peter McCulloch, appearing earlier this week. In other news, U.S. lawmakers are discussing another possible round of COVID-19 stimulus spending for businesses seeking to blunt the impact of the effects of the lockdowns and other measures taken as mitigation for the coronavirus, according to the Washington Post. Early efforts by Democrats and Republican lawmakers have focused primarily on authorizing billions of dollars to help businesses, including restaurants, performance venues, gyms, and minor league sports teams, the report said, citing four people familiar with the matter. The White House declined to comment to the Washington Post article, as did two lawmakers cited as being behind the talks. 
Such a measure, if if passed by Congress and signed into law by President Biden, would be the latest federal relief package as the ongoing novel coronavirus pandemic enters its third year, according to Newsmax. U.S. Centers for Disease and and Prevention, the CDC, on Tuesday backed its week-old guidance for people seeking to end their COVID-19 isolation at five days, adding that they could take a rapid antigen test if they want to end and can access one. But not requiring that, the agency had been pressured by health experts to institute a test requirement after it cut its, or in half, its guidance last week for people to isolate after getting COVID-19 infection or being positively tested. It said the move was based on science around transmission of the virus. New York physicians will now take a patient's race into consideration when prescribing hard-to-come-by coronavirus treatments under a new policy that has drawn the ire of doctors and legal experts who argue the new guidelines could violate the U.S. Constitution. To receive treatment, a patient must meet certain criteria, including having a medical condition or other factors that increase their risk for severe illness, according to the document. One of the listed risk factors as listed as being non-white. Official guidance published in the Department of Health website directs medical personnel to consider race and ethnicity when assessing individual risk and notes that, quote, long-standing systemic health and social inequities, end quote, can contribute to an increased risk of dying from COVID-19. The race directive was contained in a document outlining the New York Department of Health's plan to distribute items such as monoclonal antibody treatments and antiviral pills. Meanwhile, stringent vaccination policies are being enforced in New York, where adults and children over the age of six must show proof of vaccination, as well as negative testing of COVID for people attending virtually any public event in New York City. Many other cities, including Los Angeles, Seattle, San Francisco, are mandating similar vaccination procedures, also putting in restrictive access measures from or for the unvaccinated, drawing criticism from human rights groups as invasive and an abridgment of civil rights. Pfizer board member Dr. Scott Gottlieb has said the cloth masks don't provide much protection against the Omicron variant of the virus in the midst of a spike of cases nationwide. Gottlieb, former FDA commissioner and scientist, said that the virus is transmitted via airborne particles. Cloth uh, face coverings are not effective, according to Gottlieb, at stopping those particles. The coronavirus update now continues. Now with a look at the latest data. First, the global seven-day trends in cases and deaths, week ending January 4th. World Health Organization data shows cases around the globe have increased by 98% roughly doubling since December 27th, 1.74 million new cases since last week. But turning to fatalities from COVID-related illness, deaths have decreased 4.2% globally. That is to say, the last week, an average of 6,100 people worldwide were reportedly dying from COVID or COVID-related illness. This week, that number has dropped slightly to just over 5,900. This is significant because while cases rise, Due to the spread of Omicron, actual deaths are down. Does this play out in the U.S.? Well, let's take a look at the numbers. New cases in the U.S. hit a peak on January 4th with a total of 548,330 cases in one 24-hour period compared to 253,000 just a week ago. 
That's an increase of 116%. Looking at fatalities from COVID, a much different picture. Deaths last week were up less than 2% to 1,208 per day. Last week, that average was 1,187. Deaths compared to one month ago are actually down 2%. Statistically, there has been no increase of the number of deaths on average in the United States, despite rising cases. The top states dealing with high fatalities this week include Indiana, reporting 172 deaths reported on Tuesday. Pennsylvania came in second with 169 fatalities due to COVID-related illness. Arizona with 155 deaths from COVID-related illness and Illinois reporting 100 deaths on Tuesday. New York, deaths are up 78% from 55 last week to 98 average daily deaths as of January 4th. And deaths in California are flat at 52 deaths on average per day. Bellwether State, Florida, now reporting an average of two people per day in the state falling to COVID-related illness. That's down from eight last week. Good news from the Sunshine State. Now let's turn our attention to the latest VAERS report to wrap up this coronavirus update. CDC keeps a record of patients who report adverse effects after getting a COVID vaccination. This information is available on the CDC's own website, also listed on our website at candidlyspeaking.net. Globally, there have been 1.85 million reports of adverse effects since the first vaccines rolled out one year ago this month. In the United States, there have been 9,600 deaths, 45,600 hospitalizations, 88,200 urgent care reports, 1,500 miscarriages, 4,700 heart attacks, and 4,400 events of myocarditis, and 11,244 people became permanently disabled after taking a vaccine shot. Including, for the record, of people between the ages of 12 and 35, 4,700 cases or so rounded out to 4,700 cases of myocarditis in the U.S. Pfizer, by the way, represents 75% of all cases of of those who experience myocarditis after getting a vaccine. We will continue to update you with the latest information. Facts, not fear, is what you get with these coronavirus updates. With your coronavirus update for January 5th, 2022, I'm Jim Watkins. Follow us online at candidlyspeaking.net.